before the break, we reviewed where we have been in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verses 12 through 26. We indicated that the major, the main message is unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ. That is the church of Christ. And so we indicated the three responsibilities that we have, which we reviewed, of course. One is, the first one is that you should recognize the unity and diversity in the church of Christ. The second is that you should focus on facts stated about members of the church of Christ. The first was the church of Christ consists of several members. The second, uh, no believer can be uh, separated from the body of Christ. The third, that each member is necessary for, for the functioning of the local church or the global church of Christ. The fourth, that God places each member of the church in the church to function as he wants. The fifth, that there will have been no church of Christ as we know it if it consisted only of one member. And so we looked at the uh, third responsibility, which is that you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ. And so we went through the reasons for it. One of it is that uh, because of the importance of unity and diversity, and that each person depends on another in the body of Christ. That those uh, who are considered weak are indispensable or are necessary members of the class uh, of the body of Christ. And the fourth, that certain members of the body of Christ require special attention. And then the fifth, that God constituted or composed the church in the way he wants it. Uh, for his purpose. And in that purpose, we mentioned that yes, the first uh, stated purpose is to ensure there's no division in the church of Christ. And secondly, to ensure that we care for each other. And so, caring for each other requires sharing in the positive and negative experiences of each other. And so, because of that, we said we went <clears throat> to look at uh, the doctrine of suffering. And after all that said and done, uh, we began then to see how to understand that clause if, of verse 26, where it says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And so we began to say so there are three words in the English that will help us to understand how people relate to each other during suffering. And those three words that we talked about, empathy, sympathy, and compassion. And in the end, we, after going through a lengthy explanation, we, we came up with the fact that compassion is a word that bases our context. And therefore, compassion being an action-oriented word is what if you do, you will then meet the suffering with a fellow believer. So with that, we began to see how we put that into practice. And we were looking at, part of it is visiting those who are, are sick. And we also indicated that the visiting is usually to render some kind of help. So when you visit, it's usually to render some help. And that is the way... That is revealed in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, and that is where we begin the second half. Acts chapter 7, verse 23. It is, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. And you recall that when he visited, what he did is to fight for them. Doesn't to look after a sick believer is to visit the person with the intention of rendering help as needed. So anyway, the Lord Jesus indicated that visiting the sick 
is certainly a kind of good work expected of those who are believers. It is true that the Lord spoke of visiting him when he was sick. But he did not mean him, himself personally. But that's a way of saying visiting those who are believers in him as implied in the question and answer given in Matthew 25 verses 45 and 40, 44 and 45. Matthew chapter 25 verses 44 I mean verses 44 and 45 Matthew 25 Matthew chapter 25 verse 44 reads They also will answer Lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Now we will, we will cite this 25th chapter of Matthew later when we Consider another demonstration of compassion that a believer should uh, display in a different suffering situation other than sickness. Now we have really considered demonstration of compassion for the sake because it is physical suffering. Now another physical suffering that demands believers show their compassion in action to those suffering is that of persecution that may or may not lead to imprisonment. Now, whether persecution leads to improvement or not, uh, imprisonment or not, a demonstration of compassion to fellow believers' suffering is really to pray for such individual. When somebody's suffering persecution, you pray for them. We know that this is a proper demonstration of compassion because of the, what the early church did. When Apostle Peter was put in jail as a part of his persecution for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church prayed for him as we gather from Acts chapter 12 verse 5. Now, as we go through this, I have to remind you. See, many times, we humans seem to imply that we are more gracious than God when it comes to certain things. But what I mean is, we ignore the scripture and we say we are showing compassion. When the Bible tells you do it this way, you say, ah, you ignore it. You cannot be more compassionate than God. So that, you know, when people are doing certain things, it's because they really don't believe the word of what God says to them. Now here it is, Acts 12 verse 5 reads, So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was honestly praying uh, to God for him. So because of their compassion, they put it in action, they were praying. Now it seems that the instruction then of the Holy Spirit through the human author of Hebrews regarding how believers should respond to their fellow believers being persecuted involves praying for them. We say this because of the instruction of in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3. It is, remember those in prison as, as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated 
as if you yourselves were suffering. I say the command here, remember, is really a command to care for, to be concerned about someone. Now, in the context of the command, remember, the command of remembering someone in prison includes praying for the person. Now, similar to a believer suffering sickness, it is necessary to visit where possible a fellow believer in prison because of our common faith in Christ. That's what we're focusing on. That's what the Bible talks about. In other words, we're talking about those who are in prison because of their faith in Christ. Now we include visiting as an act of uh, compassion to persecuted believers, especially those who are in prison because of the statement of the Lord Jesus that we cited previously in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. Matthew 25, verse 36. Matthew chapter 25, verse 36. It reads, I need a clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, so visit of believers in prison is commendable as an act of compassion that will be appreciated by the believer in prison. Now this, we may deduce, of course, from the commendation of Onesiphorus by Apostle Paul, as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Second Timothy Second Timothy Chapter one verse sixteen it is May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me. And was not ashamed of my chains. Onesiphorus here was commended because, look at it, he often refreshed the apostle. Now he either constantly met the physical needs of the apostle while in prison, or he, he, or he encouraged him spiritually. Now, either case would have involved visiting the apostle while in prison. Now, if the apostle commends Onesiphorus for visiting him in prison, then it makes sense to include visitation of a persecuted Christian in prison as a demonstration of compassion. Now, the point is that when a believer is suffering persecution, when that is the case, it is necessary to visit such a person to provide encouragement to them to remain faithful to the Lord. Now, this kind of encouragement is in part what we have in the encouragement of believers by Apostles Paul and Barnabas during their first missionary journey as recorded in Acts chapter 14 verse 22. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 reads, Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain through to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter 
the kingdom of God, they said. So the encouragement of these two apostles reminds the new converts, of course, of the inevitability of suffering in the Christian faith. So when you visit a believer who is suffering because of a person's faith, regardless of the nature of the persecution, it will be necessary to remind the believer that persecution is part of the Christian faith. As stated in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Remind the person that. That was as part of the encouragement. You remind them this, this passage. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 reads, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you remind them that. That that's part of the package of being a believer in Christ. Now of course, if a believer is suffering persecution from family members, we shall remind such an individual that what the person is experiencing confirms the teaching of our Lord Jesus regarding persecution from members of one's family. Now, I say this. Part of the things that I, I usually tell people, every now and then I try not to be so personal. The part of the thing that I have learned, this is that helps me when I hear people who, call, you know, who believe they are devoted to the Lord compromise because of family member. I just shake my head. It doesn't make sense to me. Why would you do that? Now, I mean, what I'm saying is, I remember as a young boy, well, a teenager, that I had to face a whole group including my dad and so forth. Because they wanted me to compromise the truth. And I refused. I didn't die. Now, that's the thing. Is when I hear people say, I just wonder, what's your faith in? You should not compromise what the Bible tells you because you want to please members of the family. You shouldn't do that. Because when you do that, you have shown which, who is more important to you. God or humans. Human relationships are not as important as that of being in good relationship, good standing with the Lord. So if the Lord says this way, do it that way. Don't worry, they may ostracize you, push you away. That's fine. As long as you are faithful to the Word, faithful to the Lord. Don't compromise. I mean, I hear all those things. I just say, okay. I don't know what the, what the faith is. So, what am I talking about? It's really because of what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 10, verse, verses 34 and 36. Matthew. Chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. It reads, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace. Look at what he said. But a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You're looking for a way for persecution. They're right in your household. In other words, this is the way the Bible says do it. And you want to do it that way. The rest of your family members, the men or what is involved, they can't come up against you. What do you do? Okay, throw in the towel. My friend, when you do that, you have failed your Lord 
miserably. Understand that? There's no need to do that. Stand firm on the truth and the Lord is going to sustain you. And I always think when those kind of things, I think about those three men. They said, Oh, King, know this. We're not going to bow down to those idols. Our God is able to deliver us from your hand. And even if he doesn't, that's it. Even if he doesn't, that means his plan for you is finished on this planet. So you go home. What are you doing here? I mean, I, honestly speaking, I, I, don't, I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to stay a nanosecond past what he has for me on this planet. I don't want it. It's no, it makes no sense. I know, I know we like to stay on this planet. It's because we have a very few understanding of or a view of what's waiting us. If we know what's waiting us, really, I don't say we'll commit suicide. We'll be hurting to get there, but anyway, we don't. So that's where God has it, and that's where it should go. But the truth, though, is you should not compromise because of family members. Can't do that. I mean, you shouldn't do that anyway. So anyway, using this passage, then. We encourage the believer, if you meet, if a fellow believer is, you know, suffering because of family members, they mistreating him or her. So you use this passage to encourage that believer that is persecuted by family members, that what the individual is suffering is in keeping with the teaching of our Lord and confirms his or her faith. Therefore, we encourage such a person not to be defeated or feel abandoned but to trust that the Lord will vindicate the individual in his own time, in his own way. Now we have indicated that showing compassion to a believer, suffering, persecution requires visitation to render help. Now what if you can visit believers who are in prison or persecuted because of distance? What about that? Well, there is a practical thing you can do to show compassion to suffering believers in other parts of the world. You should or you could send aid directly to them if you know of them or to support any Christian group that is dedicated to helping suffering believers, especially those persecuted. And in this country, I can think about one organization, the Voice of the Martyrs. That's one of the things they are devoted to doing. Suffering believers all over the world. Now, some believers, of course, are legalistic in this kind of requirement that I have made, in that they will require you to show them a specific passage that instructs that we... uh, carry out what I've just indicated about supporting through organizations. Now, there's no specific passage that says we should support believers who are persecuted in other parts of the world by sending aid to them. We don't have a, a command that says, do this. It doesn't, it's not in the uh, New Testament scripture. At least I haven't seen it. However, we go though by the general practice of the early church as well as the general requirement of the scripture concerning doing righteousness. Notice what I say, doing righteousness. Now, we have examples of support by the one local church for another that was about to face suffering due to famine in accordance to Acts chapter 11, verses 28 through 29. Now, there are certain things we have been doing here that uh, by the grace of God, if the Lord says so, I say if He gives us a life and I'm still here on on this pulpit a year from now, we'll believe, I'm sure we'll be in the 16th chapter of this book, uh, somewhere around there, and we'll see more about this issue of helping other believers in local churches suffering. Anyway, here it reads, one of them, named uh, Egebos, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine 
will spread over the entire Roman world. Now this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This the far away. That's what they're doing in Antioch. Now we also know that there were gentle, uh, gentle churches that supported poor believers in Jerusalem, as stated in Romans chapter fifteen, verse twenty-six. Romans chapter 15 verse 26. It reads, For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So when you put these two passages together, you get the idea that it is expected of believers to help their fellow believers who are suffering any kind of deprivation because of their faith. Now you see, there are many believers in many countries that are denied jobs because of their faith in Christ. Such believers suffer uh, from lack of basic necessities of life, not because they are lazy and refuse to work, but because they are persecuted and so they are left to starve. In other words, if you read some of these things, they run them out of their farms because that's how they live, by their, through their farms. But as soon as they get saved, the whole community run them off. Because they don't want to believe, they don't want to follow the animism or whatever things that they are worshipping. So they run them off. And they live hanging. Can't find anything to eat. This, because many of these people, the voice of matters try to reach them as much as they can. So anyway, the thing is that you can see that if we know of such individuals then, we should send aid to them. Anyway, you can show compassion to such believers then by supporting Christian organizations that are devoted to helping such individuals. I mean, in that way, you really have to look at them seriously. In their, uh, look at the overhead. If all people contribute, overhead goes into 60% and all that, they are not doing what they're supposed to do. The overhead should be so small if they're truly doing it. And the rest should be to help those who are in need. Anyway, in any case, it is important as you show compassion or suffer with a believer who is suffering physically that you should be careful to avoid the approach of Job's three friends who came to provide him comfort. For his suffering, as indicated in the passage we started previously, that is Job chapter 2, verse 11. We started this before, and we need to read through it again. Job chapter 2, verse 11 reads When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Nehemiahite, had about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Now, instead of comforting Job, they insisted that his sufferings were because of some hidden sins he had committed. Job refuted them many, many times by saying that his suffering has nothing to do with his sins. Now he, of course, 
was right. Because the law confirmed the rightness of his statement uh, by being displeased with his three friends that accused him of suffering for his sins. Now, it doesn't mean we don't suffer for our sins, but this particular case wasn't him suffering for a particular sin. Because the gospel was being played out. So, he's, so the Lord vindicated him by what is stated in Job 42, verse 7. Job 42, verse 7. Say, hold on, Job. Two more passages, uh, verses, and then one more passage still in Job. Just hold on to Job for now. Job 42, verse 7 reads, After the Lord has said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the uh, Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now they didn't know, I mean the things they said were right, except that they applied it wrongly to Job. Everything they said was, was true. But they applied it wrongly to Job. Now Job was right in that he said that uh, what he said about God, but was wrong though in the conclusion he arrived at. As that implies that God was unjust. God was not unjust, and so when he God confronted Job, that caused Job to realize that he was wrong. And so he repented of it after confessing that God's plan could not be thwarted and a few other assertions confessed his repentance as stated in that Job chapter 42 that you already look at verse 6. Verse 6. The Job 42 verse 6 reads, Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, he came wrong, uh, wrongly. He made his wrong conclusion about God. Now, it doesn't mean that his friends were wrong in what they said. They were right. It's just that they applied it wrongly. That's all I'm saying. Now, the, suf- the suffering believer may not be Job. I have to remember that. But you, could, you should be careful, though. That you are not acting like Job's three friends. Does what you should do as you provide comfort is to remind the believer that God speaks to us in different ways, one of which is suffering. Therefore, it is necessary for that individual to take a spiritual inventory to know what the suffering is all about, if it is not clearly a result of persecution for one's faith. In other words, if you're not being persecuted for your faith, any other suffering, you encourage the person, take a hard look. You don't accuse them, just take a hard look. So I'm saying that you can draw then the suffering believer's attention to what is stated in Job chapter 33 verse 14. Job chapter 33 verse 14. It is for God does speak now one way now another. Though man may not perceive it. We'll study this uh, in the two ways to one of those special topic that I had, uh, two-way communication of God is online. And so, here, God will communicate to you, or me, verbally, or through pain. Those are two. That's what we have here. Now, you may recommend then, the believer, of course, to read the rest of the passage, but without being accusatory, since you may not know the reason for the suffering, if it is not persecution. You may not, if it's not persecution, don't know uh, it may be that the person is suffering from sin, or it may not be. We don't know. You just have to encourage that person. So anyhow, we are saying that you should be cautious about linking a believer's suffering to sin. But you should not fail to bring the point that we may suffer, 
Because God is speaking to us through it to get our attention to something in our life as believers. The teaching of the word of God has not resulted in correcting wherever it happens to be. In other words, there are things that I am telling you, I know this. There are things I explain here. Some of you hear me, you ignore it until God hits you with the pain. Then I'll be right there. You already had the pain. It would have been easier if you just took what the Bible says to you. I don't give you opinions here. I've tried to make people know. I don't give opinions here. I explain what's in the Bible. I know it's not properly explained because many of these of our pastors are trying to be politically correct in the church. And therefore they are not telling the church the truth. Many of them, they just skip around it. Because they want to be popular for whatever reason. And I know this is not a popularity context. So it is important that when you hear it, apply it. That is the best thing you can do. But if you don't want it, the compassionate father knows how to be compassionate with you. And part of it is suffering. He still oversees it. He still be suffering anyway. So recall though, we indicated that how we suffer with a fellow believer or demonstrates compassion to such a person depends on the type of suffering such an individual is faced with. Now so far, we have a uh, uh, focus on physical suffering. And so we turn our attention now to the kind of suffering that may be classified as emotional. Emotional. An example of emotional suffering, as we have previously interpreted or indicated, is bereavement. Bereavement. Where a believer is faced with the loss of a beloved one who is presumably a believer. Now, even under this situation, it will be necessary to suffer with a fellow believer or to show compassion to such a person by visiting the person if possible. If possible. I mean that when a, a fellow believer loses a loved one, compassion requires personal visitation where possible. Now, if it is not possible because of distance or other uh, mitigating circumstances, it will be necessary to reach out to the bereaved through any other means of communication available. Especially today, we have a whole lot of it. Happy we reach each other. Now, whether a person is able to visit or to reach the bereaved through any other means of communication, the compassion to be shown is to take the form of encouragement from the Word of God. In effect, it will be necessary to follow the instruction of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul that is given to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18. It is therefore encourage each other with these words. Now the believer who shows compassion to the bereaved should, of course, recognize that the one who has lost a loved one is indeed under emotional suffering. And so use words of encouragement that will enable the bereaved to focus not on the loss, but on the hope believers have in Christ. Now you see, all this varies. If you have a mature believer, I have no problem dealing with uh, uh, the bereavement, so you don't really need much, just, just a reminder. That's it. Because they should be such that you don't need any kind of encouragement from anyone, really. If you are grounded the way you're supposed to be grounded in truth, and you meet distance, 
you are already equipped with it. And therefore you just apply it. Now it's nice to have other believers around you. That's okay. But that shouldn't, you shouldn't look on that. You should be dependent on the Lord drawing from the strength given from his word to you. Anyway, this is, in this particular case, the phrase in this passage, Thessalonians 4.18 says, it says, these words, that phrase, these words, refers to the content of what the apostle taught starting in verse 13 and ending in verse 17 of this first Thessalonians chapter 4. Now the summary of which is that those who have departed to be with the Lord will not miss the resurrection event as some of the Thessalonians might have been led to believe. But in reality, those who have died in Christ will receive their resurrection bodies before those who are physically alive at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, a believer comforting the bereaved should focus on the hope that believers will see each other again, but with frankness that we do not know how that will happen. We don't know the form. We don't know how it happened. That's the frankness. Now, in effect, we should be truthful and not go beyond the scripture. For example, if the bereaved lost a husband or a wife, you should not give the impression that the recognition will involve knowing the person as a spouse. But simply, as a believer that had association with this individual while on earth, that's much we know. Now we make this point because the Lord Jesus is clear that there should be nothing that will indicate male or female in heaven. People should understand that. Now sometimes because of very shallow understanding of the scripture. Why does, why does sex exist? For procreation. To populate the world. That's the major function. What are we doing in heaven? Are we populating anything? No. So why will you have male and female? just have to think about it. Anyway, I'm not just making that up. Anyway, this is what the Lord says about that. Matthew 22 verse 30. Matthew chapter 22 verse 30. And hold on to Matthew Now, of course, I have to be always cautious. I may be saying something and you forget the other part. I just said here, sex is for procreation. Yes. But it's also given for husband and wife to communicate with each other. That was started in 1 Corinthians 7. So, I'm just focusing on one thing right now. It says, Matthew 22, verse 30 reads, At the resurrection, people will neither marry not be given a marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. There are no males and no females in heaven. Angels are sexless, so to say. They are just being. Now the thing is, we don't understand this body is only for this planet. That's why a whole lot of people are so engrossed about what the body looks like, what that person looks like. And no, it's only here. Once you leave here, that's it. You know, it's left on the ground or it's gone. Whatever it is, it's going to be dust. The soul gets out or the spirit goes and you'll be, you be clothed with a body. And that body can never be anything that indicates male or female. Never. So you'll be honest with the person by telling them that. So with this consideration then, of, one, of, of how one can show compassion to a believer who is suffering emotionally because of bereavement, we have concluded our consideration of how a believer is to suffer together with another believer. That is, in sharing in a fellow believer's negative experience. In effect, we have then expounded on the first clause 
of 1 Corinthians 12, 26, when it says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. So we turn now to the positive and the last clause of the verse. But before we do, we should recognize that although we had focused on individual believers, that everything we have said to the individual believer is what a local church should do. They should do it in various ways. Visitation, for example, of sick should be done by the church individually and collectively, in a sense, depending on you know, what the situation is. Maybe a few uh, leaders go and at the same time. It just depends on what the situation is. Anyway, sharing them in the positive experiences of fellow believers is implied in the last clause of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, when it says, If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now again, the apostle is no longer concerned with body parts, but with the members of the body of Christ or, or his church. See, sharing in positive experience of another believer is that of rejoicing with a fellow believer's blessings. I, I submit to you though, that there is a sense that this is a more difficult thing to do than having compassion. Although, some may dispute what I just said. But that doesn't change my declaration. That it's a whole lot easier to sympathize with somebody, to have compassion, than it is to rejoice with them. He said, oh, okay, let me go as I continue. You know why I say that. Now the reason for declaring that it's probably more difficult to rejoice in the blessing of another than showing compassion is because of what the rejoicing is about. The object of rejoicing is given in that word honored. Look at that word honored. It says if one part is honored. Now the word honored is really translated from a, a Greek a word that means to honor as what people do for others who have done something commendable as in Matthew chapter 6 verse 2. Matthew chapter 6 verse 2. It is so when you give to the needy do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. To be honored, that's a Greek word, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now the Greek word may mean to glorify, as it is used to state what is done to the Lord Jesus because of his miracles reported in John chapter 11, verse 4. John chapter 11, verse 4. John chapter 11, verse 4. John chapter 11, verse 4 reads, When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That's a Greek word, honored, transfer here, glorified. Now the word may mean to take pride or to take seriously, as that is the sense the word is used by Apostle Paul in describing his ministry as recorded in Romans chapter 11, verse 13. Romans chapter 11, verse 13. 
race. I'm talking to you Gentiles. And as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry. <laughs> See, the, the sentence of the NIV, I make much of my ministry, is more literally, this literally reads, I glorify my ministry. Literally. But of course, the standard English, Greek English lexicon uh, of Bauer, Danka, and Gingri suggests that it may be translated this way. I take pride in my ministry, or that it can be translated, I take my assignment seriously. So the word then may mean to praise, as in the expected response of believers in Jerusalem on receiving the gift from gentle believers, organized by Apostle Paul, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Second Corinthians chapter nine verse thirteen. It reads Second Corinthians nine verse thirteen reads because of the service by which you ha- you have proved yourselves, men will praise. That's the Greek word translate honor there, but here it's translated praise. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12.26, it is used with the sense of to be glorified. That is, to be or become positively acknowledged, recognized, or esteemed for one's character, nature, or attributes. So we can say that the word means to honor, to praise, to praise. Now you see, it is very difficult for many of us to be on the sideline watching another person being the object of praise. Much more difficult than that of Showing compassion. Now, it is for this reason that I contend that it is more difficult to share in the blessings of another believer in the form of rejoicing than to show compassion. That it is difficult to share in the blessings of another believer in form of rejoicing does not mean, though, that it cannot be done. For otherwise, we will not have that same thing that we're looking at in First uh, Corinthians twelve twenty six when it says every part rejoices with it. And what I'm saying is, because of our sinful human nature, we want to be the object of attention. That's just it. So we don't really we may pretend on that sinful nature that yeah, I'm really I'm glad for you. Really, are you really saying that? I'm glad for you, for your, you know, whatever it is. Do you really mean it? Or are you just saying something that is popular? The sinful nature doesn't like that. Why is it not me? Why are you? That's our sinful nature. That's the way it functions. He said, no, my don't function that way. Yeah, I forgot you're a perfect person. And my only question is, why are you still here? Why are you here? I mean, if you're like the rest of us, we're still struggling. We're fighting through the, going through the battle field, so to say. And so we recognize it's a battle to be a point where you can truly say that you are rejoicing. I'm glad for you truly. Remember, because I say it's a, it's a command, or really it's an expression, where it says, every part rejoices with it. Now, the, the expression rejoice with, with is translated from a Greek word that may mean to express pleasure over another's good fortune. So that the word has the sense of to congratulate someone. 
I mean it. It's not just, you know, it's what we do. So we congratulate you. No. Now, so it is something you have to do from inside of you. Now, this is probably the, the sense of the word in describing the response of the neighbors of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, when she gave birth to her son, as we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 58. Luke chapter 1, verse 58. Now hold on to Luke. I'm going to end up with that passage in Luke. Another passage in Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 58 reads, Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Now the word may mean to experience joy in conjunction with someone. That is to rejoice with, as that is the way the word is used in Jesus' parable of the Lordship, where the owner invited his neighbors to celebrate with him for finding the Lordship, as we read in Luke chapter 15, verse 6. Luke chapter 15, verse 6. He reads, and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost ship. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12, 26, the word has a sense of to experience joy in conjunction with someone. To experience joy in conjunction with someone. That is, to rejoice them with another. Now, the way one goes about doing this, or that which is difficult, of course, is to be filled of the Holy Spirit. If you are filled of the Holy Spirit, you will truly rejoice with the, for the good fortune of another person. So, you see, rejoicing is an outward expression of joy. But joy is a facet of this fruit of the Spirit. Consequently, if you are filled of the Holy Spirit, you will gladly share in the praise or honor bestowed to a fellow believer. So anyway, let me then end by reminding you of the message that we have considered, which is that unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ, that is the church of Christ. This again places you under three responsibilities. You should recognize the unity and the diversity in the church of Christ. You should focus on facts stated about members of the church of Christ. You should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet. If you die now, you go straight to hell because you don't have life yet. But the good news is that God loves you so much. That's why we are hearing what you are hearing now. God showed his love because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven with all his glories. He humbled himself because he wants to elevate you to the sonship, to the level of being the family of God, so he can call you his brother or sister. He did that to show his love. And so he came, preached, did miracles, everything to point to the fact that he is the son of God, he is God. And after which, he was arrested, tried, and crucified. While on that cross, in spite of all the physical sufferings and torture that he underwent, the last three hours on that cross, when my sins and your sins were being charged on the Son of God, it was so unbearable. Nothing like this physical thing that he let out that cry, Eli, Eli, Lama Sibakatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He was forsaken that you may be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. How? The Bible said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you going to believe? Again, the Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe in him, you have life through his name. If you believe that he died, was buried, rose again the third day, you will have eternal life. And wherever your sins are, they will be totally forgiven, wiped out, never to be remembered by God again. And he will give you righteousness that you have to have to be with him forever. He will give you eternal life, which you have to have to be with him forever. So believe in him, and you have received this. And if you say you don't want to believe them, my friend, I have to warn you. You are just one close. You're just a step close to hell, where there's a torture, where it's unimaginable suffering. But escape it through faith in Christ. Believe in him, and you have life. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to challenge us to know how to suffer with our fellow believers, to know how to rejoice with them. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Have your seat and uh, Mr. Hoda will come out and we'll have a meeting.